Welcome, everyone, to the Top Producer Podcast. I am Paul Nefer, your host, and today we're going to do something a little different. You know, historically, we've done probably more podcasts with uh, corn, soybean, wheat growers. We're actually going to have a discussion dealing with permanent crops. And when I say permanent crops, I'm talking apple orchards, walnut orchards, almond or almond, depending what part of California you're in, grapes and, and those crops that historically may have a, a tree or vine that'll last for 30 or 40 years producing a crop. So we're going to have a conversation today with Jay Graham from Western Farm Advisors. I think I got that correct, Jay. And so, Jay, how Perfect. are things going? Going well. We have a we have a big early uh, cold snap going on out here in the uh, Pacific Northwest, so it's affecting harvest, but uh, everything else is going good. I think your cold snap is moving our way. We're supposed to be a high of 30 on, on Sunday. We were 81 on Monday. So I think by Sunday, uh, it'll be a little colder than that. But luckily, I'm going to Phoenix tomorrow for my youngest grandson's one-year-old birthday party on Saturday. And I get to play golf on Sunday. So uh, uh, I won't be quite as cold as you will be. So That is great. So, so I, I know that you grew up in the central Washington area, but you've sort of, your career has been beyond central Washington. Now you're back to that, but let's start off with, uh, you know, again, where you grew up, went to college, your, your career until you started uh, the Western farm uh, advisor company with your partner. Yeah. Kind of great. Uh, Funny how life goes full circle. So actually grew up in central Washington and uh, East Wenatchee, Washington specifically, and made my way to uh, college and then to the Midwest, actually in commodities trading for some of the large uh, grain companies and made my way back out West. Actually spent most of the last 20 years in Boise, Idaho, which has become a nice big ag hub for uh, a lot of things, uh, private equity, uh, lending, yeah, uh, many large ag companies. So it's kind of become a West Coast hub for agriculture. So I spent about 20 years there and made my way back actually to East Wenatchee full circle to run uh, Western Farm Advisors and some related agricultural companies. Okay. Okay. And um, let's dive into what is Western Farm Advisors? How did it get started? Who you started it with and and so on and so forth? Yeah, basically Western Farm Advisors were uh, were a professional services firm, uh, specifically uh, serving the agribusiness, agricultural industry. Over my 15, 20 years of uh, private equity and ag lending really saw that there was a a big service need, uh, especially in the Pacific Northwest for um, agricultural professionals to help the farmer in what was coming. And that basically what we're seeing is uh, large consolidations, a lot of equity money coming in, and this is new to a lot of different farmers and uh, different ag professionals who who are uh, um, you know wanting to maybe look at this or um, you know undertake a, one of these some equity for growth or maybe divest divesting of companies. And so we're we set up the company to help uh, the the farmer um, you know really take advantage of these uh, of what's going on in the marketplace. So. Okay. And so let's, let's, let's back up. Uh, when did you start it and who did you start it with? Uh, 2016, I believe we hung our shingle. Uh, myself and uh, Stu Kerber were the founding members of it. Um, he, Stu came from the farm credit system from Kobe. 
um, is, you know, very similar to myself uh, being in the commercial, commercial finance or commercial uh, agribusiness arena. And uh, so we started it in 2016, both in coming from a, a banking background. Okay. Okay. And so let's, let's sort of go through some of what those services that your firm does provide for ag. Um, one of the services I know you help on mergers and acquisitions. So let's, let's start with what a merger might look like in the permanent crop area. Uh, yeah, we're seeing a lot of activity in the permanent crop space on the West Coast in general, specifically in central Washington and the uh, tree fruits in the Washington tree fruit space. But we're seeing a lot of uh, companies, um, either strategics or, you know, two companies already within the industry merging together to form a larger company to you know, hopefully take advantage of uh, larger economies of scale. And then we're seeing a lot of equity money coming in, wanting to uh, um, bring growth money to a to a company. So we're seeing a lot of uh, minority and majority buyouts within the uh, within the tree fruit space in Washington State. Okay, so that's sort of the merger side. Then on the acquisition side, which I think you've touched on a little bit briefly, that's where it could be private equity, it could be another company, it could be a private investor is coming in and actually buying, is it typically they're buying just the orchard or are they buying the orchard plus the packing warehouse or are they just buying the warehouse or what are some of the typical things that you're seeing right now? That's funny. I, I would say in the last cycle, um, you know, call it maybe 80s and 90s when a lot of equity money got in, into ag and still traditionally kind of out in the Midwest, uh, you're seeing a lot of equity that's just wanting to buy into land. I think with the changing interest rate environment, different returns, you know, what people are looking for, that's actually, that's changed quite a bit. Well, and ag's just gotten bigger. So with ag getting bigger this round, I, you know, I say since 20, you know, probably since 2010, probably when this round or 2015, when this round started again, um, we're seeing a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of these companies coming in and actually buying into the operating company. So this round, we're seeing a lot of vertical integration being purchased. Again, if we go specifically to Washington tree fruit, they're buying the marketing company, they're buying the packing shed and the orchards in all the ancillary business and equipment. And, and some of those transactions can be fairly big. I mean, uh, if you're buying, you know, a thousand acres of good cropland in the Midwest, you might spend 15 million, but in the permanent crop, 15 million doesn't even really get you started. Does it Jay? You know, yeah, I, I would say on the equity side, that's, that's most of where that's probably the cutoff. I'd say 15 or 20 million is probably the smallest deal just because of how complex the due diligence is and the time and everything involved in doing a deal. Really most of the equity companies, yeah, don't, don't even want to get started unless it's around 20 million. So the, we've seen everything from about 20 million to, I think the largest I've seen is about 425 million. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think to give uh, an idea for the listeners out there, and and you probably know these numbers better than I do, so tell me if I'm wrong. But for somebody to plant an acre of, uh, let's say, organic Honeycrisp apples, which is one of the you know the hot varieties out there, uh, you know, you're going to plant it. It's going to take two or three or four years before you really get into production, and you're going to spend, including the land, you're going to spend what. Forty, fifty thousand dollars before you even get a return—is that probably close? Maybe high, low, low? 
Yeah, I'm going to say you're probably a little low. Unfortunately, um, yeah. that's the you know that's the that's the hard part with these permanent crops is just the the capital need um, is is just so huge to get started in them. And then to your point, depending on what crop you're talking about, if your apples, you know, hopefully you have full production in about four years. If your cherries, you're probably more like you know five or six years. Pears are even longer. Um, so yeah, that's that capital until you have a return, that capital outlay is, uh, is rel rel relatively large. I'd say on apples right now, if you're, if you're going high density trellised and adding in all those pre-productive costs until you're harvest, you're, I'd say you're probably almost 70,000, 65, maybe. Yeah. And that's probably right. Cause the last time I really seriously looked at it, it was probably, uh, you know, right early in the pandemic and, you know, with inflation, you know, that's another 20, 30, 40, 50%. So that's, that's definitely yeah. right. And then like, you know, it's just like any commodity, you know, corn prices go up, they go down. You know, let's look at the cherry farmers this year. You know, they were looking at a pretty good crop, but California had a good crop and it was a late crop. So, you know, California basically reduced the price for the cherry growers. And a lot of cherry growers ended up leaving cherries on the tree because, you know, the, the cost to pick it was more than they were ever going to get for it. Yeah, you're you're touching on what we're seeing on the entire West Coast, uh, whether it be almonds or almonds, uh, whichever way you want to yep. say it, or, yep. or wa walnuts, um, tree fruit, vineyard space, pretty much the entire crop space, um, the permanent crop space, where the problem we're seeing is uh, kind of a just general oversupply model. You know, we farm so well in, in America, uh, create, you know, all these wonderful crops, and we're really good at it. Well, with the lack of export because of the strong dollar, um, so interest rate environments change to where it's, you know, it's now not, you know, your your operating money is not cheap, your uh, permanent capital is not cheap, and X because of our strong dollar exports are are down. So we're seeing, uh, we're seeing kind of a general oversupply in most permanent crops on the West Coast, which is affecting a lot of people right now. Yeah, no, it's, it's, in uh, in those cycles, you know, you can't, if you plant a tree and you wait four or five years and then the cycle turns against you, you can't cut down the tree and start over. You know, it, it, it isn't that simple, you know, whereas, hey, if corn prices are down, I can plant soybeans or wheat or or flax or canola or whatever the crop might be. So that's uh, uh, just uh, that that's definitely the interesting part with with, uh, you know, the tree tree fruit. Also, and, that, and you may or may not know this uh i'm going a little bit off script that's okay uh, yeah. you know the cosmic crisp came out about four or five years ago what's what's been the overall view on on how successful that crop has been well back to you kind of what you were saying on the uh, permanent crop space that we could have our a whole podcast just around consumer preferences and changing preferences and yeah that's one of the biggest things in the permanent crop space to your point that you can't change overnight um, you're putting a ton of capital you know four or five years out until you're going to have a crop and you're just hoping that consumer preferences haven't changed you know for your variety or even worse maybe for your entire commodity um, you know uh, you know, maybe pistachios were hot five years ago and now they're not, but it takes, you know, that you know, it takes longer than that just to get a tree to uh, maturity. So we could have a whole podcast around <laughs> consumer preferences and, you know, how they're changing so, so drastically. So yeah, to, to kind of meet that, the old red delicious apple that Washington's known for um, is kind of being replaced 
with the Cosmic Crisp, uh, actually one of the most marketed commodities ever in the history of mankind. Um, I think, I don't remember what we're up to, but I think it's, you know, 50 or $100 million we pushed towards uh, advertising for this, uh, the Cosmic Crisp. And I would say to date, the easy answer is, I would say, unknown, um, where the Cosmic Crisp is just coming into large production this year. Um, I think it doubles again next year, but so we're just hitting stride, if you would, with all these new trees that were planted three and four years ago. And so there's a lot of tonnage now to move in the marketplace. So I think we're going to know a lot more about the Apple the last the next couple of years and how the uh, um, world, the U.S. and the world, uh, you know, gravitates to it or not. Yeah, it was interesting. A couple of years ago, I was actually traveling through Colorado and and they had a large display of, of Cosmic Crisp. I think it was down in Durango. And um, it was really, I, I was a little bit surprised. Maybe it was because they were marketing, but it was heavily discounted. You know, it was uh, 99 cents a pound or something like that. Uh, uh, but I got to admit, I'm partial. I still like the Honey Crisp. You know, uh, that's that's still probably my favorite apple. So let's let's go on to a couple other services. So over on the debt financing side, uh, you know, if we were having this discussion three years ago, two years ago, it'd be pretty boring in a way. I mean, we have very <laughs> low interest rates. It's not so boring anymore. What what what's happening out there on on interest rates and especially in the Northwest for permanent crops? Oh man, that's yeah, big discussion. Um, but yeah, we we basically saw your operating line be a non-issue, like you said a couple of years ago. It was an afterthought. Uh, you didn't think about it. Now I'm hearing operating lines up to eight nine percent. And that's not a rounding error anymore. So you're having to be very strategic and deliberate with uh, with your money, how it's going to, you know, how it's being used, um, you know, what, what, yeah, what it's being used for. So lots of changes. And back to our kind of oversupply discussion we were having earlier, I think, you know, that's what's going to change a lot of this oversupply is there's, you know, there's operations um, or just different investments that made sense when operating money and term money were at, you know, sub 5% that don't make sense when it's at eight or 9%. So we're seeing huge, huge changes um, and the consolidation, a lot of that, you know, some of those interest rates are helping are, are driving that even faster because uh, yeah, efficiencies just have to be found to, to make everything pencil. And then on the, on the term side or the permanent side, are you seeing banks or financial institutions uh, maybe requiring more equity um, or just because the interest rates are higher, the, the investors are wanting to put more equity in to, to, you know, reduce that, that drag on their earnings and so on. Uh, have you seen any major changes in that area? I haven't I haven't seen major uh, equity infusions be asked in the ag space like I have the commercial uh, commercial real estate. I'm seeing that very heavily um, hearing about it and seeing the banks come in and just, you know, do the cap rates. Um, we're seeing that, uh, you know, on a refinance, the banks are just saying, hey, you need to throw in millions more to bring your loan to value into into check of where we want it. But I have yet to see that on the ag side. I think mainly because we've seen ag real estate values hold very, very well. Yeah. I haven't, I have not seen, I'm trying to think of one specific asset class within agriculture. And I can't think of one where I've seen, you know, uh, orchards, even though we've seen some 
some challenging pricing on tree fruit. I haven't seen the crop. I mean, a, a good example is down in California. There's a, a every single nut um, is doing because of the oversupply. The pricing is way, way down, but we're yeah. not seeing drastic value cuts on the underlying asset or per acre value. So everything's holding up really nice in ag real estate, as far as I can tell. So yeah, and, yeah. and I see the same thing. And and again, farmers are used to, hey, we might have one or two years of bad pricing and they're always optimistic that, you know, three or four years down the road, it'll turn around. So we'll see. Actually, just for the listeners out there, maybe we can go over some of the ag real estate trends as far as pricing. You know, if if you have in the central Washington area, a nice, let's say it's a, a nice orchard could be, let's skip over honey crisp for now, but a Nice orchard with galas, Fuji's, uh, pink crisp, or whatever it might be, uh, pink lady, I guess, um, cosmic crisp. What what is if they're in full production? What are what is some of the pricing that typically you're seeing in that area per acre? Oh man, I always I always hate getting to put on the spot on this, but <laughs> I, I would I would say right now uh, your class A orchard ground, so bare ground values are holding very nicely. It probably it's a range, whether you're up north or down south or where you're at, but I'd say the range is from sixteen to $20,000 probably holding, and that's held consistent for the last couple of years. And again, uh, that's that's just bare dirt, right? Just that's, bare it's, dirt. It, yep. It's got water. It's got the water or the water rights, but it's just bare dirt. Yep. And then if you're in still talking about bare dirt on the row crop side, you're you're probably ranging from low end of nine thousand up to probably fifteen to sixteen thousand if there's a good spud rotation and if there's you know multiple crops that can be put multiple rotations in the year that can be put on it. So a little more a larger spread on that, but that's what I'm seeing. Yep. And then if you go to permanent crop apples, as you asked, that's a hard one because variety specific, how old are the trees, everything like that. But let's let's just say probably on average, you're probably right now um fifty to again, yeah, fifty to eighty thousand dollars, depending on variety and age of trees and density and you know, a lot of other factors. Yeah. But that, and yeah. I certainly know, I mean, I've heard and seen, you know, if you have a good uh block of organic honey crisp, you know, you're approaching a hundred thousand per acre. So uh yeah. so it's it's uh and again, you know, if the consumer tastes, you know, right now they love the Honeycrisp and five years from now they hate it and they want to go to some other apple, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens at that point in time. But, uh, uh, and then also you just, your firm also does some regular just advisory services. What, what type of services might those be? Yeah. So we're, uh, we're brought in a lot um, for just, I call it special projects or, or human capital. So we're brought in when uh, people need uh, advisors or, uh, you know, additional resources, uh, call it, you know, CFO for hire or CEO for hire to help with uh, different projects as, as mergers are happening or strategically laying, you know, laying out plans of where they want to go and how they want to do it. So um, that's kind of the human capital side. We also, um, are brought in strictly on advisory to lay out plans for growth um, and actually going to market and then finding um, opportunities for that uh, for that growth. 
uh, so primarily, uh, let's call it the yeah project special project consulting, uh, human capital, and then you know kind of on the M and A side, those would be kind of our three channels. Okay, and uh, we'll go ahead and take a a quick sponsor break for a message, and then we'll come back and have a little bit more discussion on permanent crops, how they might be different than row crops. How many years away is the long run for a farmer? Five years? Ten years? Top producers like Hans Reinchi, a blue diamond farming company in Jessup, Iowa, know RoboAgri Finance shares his enduring vision for the future. Whether it's building our grain site, or if it's purchasing the next field, we're able to turn to Robo as a trusted partner to help us get financing to make those generational decisions. With unmatched financial capacity, local relationship managers, and a global network of sector experts to offer market guidance, RoboAgri Finance provides enterprising farmers with a personalized approach to lending and financial services. Growing a better world together, RoboAgri Finance. Welcome everyone back to the Top Producer Podcast. I am Paul Neeker, your host, and we're going to rejoin our conversation with uh, Jay Graham from Western Farm Advisors from Washington State. Uh, so, Jay, we've talked on a, briefly a little bit, but let's be a little bit more specific. Um, how, for a farm operation, how is a permanent crop operation really different from row crop or a grain farm and so on? What are some of the primary differences that you see? I would say the First thing I would say uh, is labor. Um, we're seeing, uh, you know, especially in Washington, tree fruit, probably cherries being the the largest need of labor uh, because you know so much it's all hand harvested. I oh yeah, labor in general is the biggest differentiating factor I think between row crop and uh, permanent crop. Just a lot more labor needed. Up uh, in even so much more in Washington tree fruit than say California almonds, um, which a lot of it can be mechanized. But um, up here in Washington, we actually have to utilize a substantial amount of the labors for through the H two A program, which I, I think most people in agriculture know about it. But if you don't, it's it's basically a program that you sign on to to bring migrant workers in from all over the world. Um, into the into the U.S. for a set amount of time based on a permit for those that labor to uh, help with all facets of uh, of you know harvest or um, you know thinning pruning everything that's needed. So that's the that's the biggest thing we're seeing, and it's getting you know much more expensive and getting harder to find people. So uh, labor in the permanent crop space is, is probably top of mind to everybody. Yeah, I think just to give an idea for the listeners out there. You know, if you're growing corn and soybeans on 2,000 acres in the Midwest, you can get by with, well, during harvest, you might have three hired people. During spring planting, maybe you have an extra person. But a 2,000-acre orchard in central Washington, Jay, you're going to have 1,000 to 2,000 W-2s by the end of the year on, on that size of an operation. It might even be more than that. So uh, it, it it is a big challenge. And Washington State, Used to, I don't know if it still does, but it's got the highest uh, minimum wage in the country. It's approaching 20 bucks an hour 
or it's getting pretty close to there. And on the H2A side, it's it's is it over that number now on H2A as as far as the rate? It is, and I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot from the cuff, but I believe I'm gonna be a little off, but I think H2A as of 2023 is somewhere around $24 or approaching it. And yeah, yeah. and you know, there's a set schedule for that to go up over time. And so yeah, on the H2A, you're around 24, but that's only that only looks at part of the picture because you have to pay for um you have to pay for you have to supply lodging and also uh, pay for permits and travel and everybody to get into the country. So yeah. I think last I heard, I think everybody's saying around $30 fully loaded, probably an hour. So you're getting pretty close to $30 for, uh, for H2A. And, 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 and I was going to say, even for IC in Washington state, even to hire somebody to come out and help on the farm on a, on just a grain farm, you might be paying 30 bucks or more per hour these days. So yeah, labor costs has definitely gotten higher. Huge. Yeah. We're, and we're seeing to keep, uh, basically you just need to pay the the local labor the same. And so we're seeing, you know, just called local labors around $24. You don't have the same, you don't have the permits and travel costs and stuff like that. And you don't have to supply the uh, housing, but uh, still, yeah, it basically, H2A drives the overall rate. So yep. let's call it around $24. And then uh, another issue, but actually in Washington st or in the Pacific Northwest, I actually think it's a benefit is water. I mean, if you're in California, you're worried, really worried about water. And historically, the Columbia Basin, you know, Columbia River, Snake River, and so on has is, is really been a pretty good source of water. Is that still true? I, I say it's the best source. I wrote a white paper in my in my previous life that uh, was called the second gold rush. The first gold, uh, first gold rush was to California for gold. And the second one was to what is going to be to Washington for water was kind of the thesis of my paper. And it's held up very, you know, it's held up to be very true. Um, I, I think most people are coming to Washington right now, both for, I think it's a, you know, why people are very interested in it isn't only the, uh, tree fruit space or the vineyard space, you know, some of these permanent crops that we grow here so well, but a lot of it's just the underlying water in the Columbia River. Um, I, you know, some of the highest quality and, you know, best source of water, I think in the world through the Columbia Basin Irrigation District. Last I heard, I think we only pull 3% of the Columbia Basin or Columbia River flow to supply the the entire irrigation project. And I think on the other end, we put, it's up for debate, but it's somewhere between, you know, one, it's around one is what I hear we return through the, uh, the end of the system. And so that would put only a net 2% flow out of the Columbia River. So very, um, a very stable water source. Yeah. And, it, and it's, uh, you know, essentially, and I'm sort of a geography buff, you know, the Mississippi River's got the largest river flow in the country uh and and the second largest is actually the ohio river and if you've ever been to that part of the country the ohio river dwarfs the mississippi river when they come together but they called it the the mississippi but columbia river would be the second to the whole mississippi system and and it's a lot of water that's going into that ocean at uh, when it finally uh, goes out so now if if there is a lot of extra cost, I'm assuming that the returns for permanent crops can be and usually are higher. Is is, is that true? 
Yeah, you have to look at averages, right? Because uh, any year, uh, as we're talking about right now, as everything in life cyclical, um, you know, I'd say right now, tree fruit in general, just as you know, I'd say the entire West Coast, like I said, just because of natural oversupply uh, issues and a strong dollar, we're seeing some price compressions on most commodities. But overall, historically, yeah, with all that capital need, that's the nice part is the risk reward normally is works out very well and we've we've typically seen uh returns you know mid-teens to high teens over the last um you know let's call it 20 25 years so um yeah definitely has been uh uh great to be in in the uh, permanent crop space over the last many years yep yep and, and a lot of those families are i would say maybe they're cashing in at the right time you know to be determined we'll we'll, we'll see what happens so. <laughs> So far, uh, I would agree with you. And I think, uh, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of been, uh, I guess, what I've been preaching the last uh, last quite a few years in the permanent crop space is if you wanted to stay in for, you know, seven to 10 years, stay in. But if you only wanted to stay in for another two or three, probably. And this was a few years ago. Yeah. yeah. If you were looking short term, it was probably a good time to get out versus right through, a you know, what could end up being a, a kind of a lengthy cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and uh, we always have, I always have three or four questions I like to ask at the end. So uh, first, uh, who was your uh, mentor? Uh, mentor, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Fred Dixon. Uh, he was actually one of my first bosses out of, out of college and yeah, just a wonderful manager, which is getting harder and harder, I think, to find nowadays. Um, but somebody that understands people, understands um, teams and you know, not only cares about the teams, actually, um, yeah, uh, cares about them and and wants everybody to succeed and does a very good job at it. So I'd say I'd say Fred because of his um, unique and and great managing style. Uh, you know, I know people too, and they drive me crazy. So <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. So yeah, it's sort of like herding cats at times. You know, and I'm probably one of the worst ones. You know, who knows? So uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm gonna say you're. Uh, you're uh, pretty busy, but uh, do you have any time for hobbies? Hobbies, I'd say pretty much 100% outdoors. Love hunting, fishing, camping. So yeah, out outdoors is really, uh, and the nice thing is the cell phone doesn't always work. Exactly. And <laughs> and, and, and and near Wenatchee, probably a lot of people listening to this have no clue where Wenatchee is at, but it's on the Columbia River, just, you know, 20, 30, well, probably 40 miles to the west as the crow flies or less is the is the peak of the Cascade Mountains is in that area. There's ski resorts. Uh, what Mission Ridge is what, 15 miles away. Now it's a smaller one, but it's still you got, you know, you got all those within very easy area. And the North Cascade National Park is one of the more beautiful national parks that hardly anybody ever uh, uh, visits, you know, so there's a lot of area there. It's been fun bringing the wife, uh, the wife here. Um to, to yeah did basically a new playground you know we kind of as she says stomped out idaho spending 20 years there we saw a ton of it so to be here at the foothills of the cascades has been has been so much fun yeah and 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 boise is nice but uh, well even Wenatchee looks a little bit like boise but i think uh i think uh, the topography and the beauty of of the cascades is probably a little bit better than the boise area although if you're listening from boise don't 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 scream at me so uh, <laughs> I think I think both are just happy that they have irrigation. Otherwise, they'd look drastically different. Exactly, exactly. That twenty thousand dollar an acre land would be worth about two hundred bucks. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> is there anything that keeps you up at night? 
Um, right now, uh, I'm a I'm a nerd, so I'm going to go with uh, economics, and I'm going to just say overall, we we actually talked about it on this podcast a little bit, but I'd say just debt. I'd say both from the consumer, corporate, and uh, and national debt load. I'd say uh, debt is kind of what's uh, keeping me up at night right now. Yeah, the uh, the interest uh, component of the national debt, once it all gets refinanced, uh, is basically gone up by either two or three times. So you're looking at probably close to a trillion or more of just interest costs on the national debt once once it all gets refinanced. So, uh, and I think the markets are starting to get a little queasy about that. But uh, and then finally, what's your definition of success in farming? Um, I I love you know. Uh, being your own boss and just uh, entrepreneur, I think, is just one of the um, you know best titles or coolest titles out there. Even though uh, you end up over overworking, and <laughs> but it's it's your own, and so I think that's a nice thing about farming is that uh, you know you get to be an entrepreneur and you get to be your own your own boss, and that makes you know how you schedule your life and how your prior you know your priorities it makes them your own and you can schedule them. So the nice thing is, I think especially in agriculture that allows you time to um you know put family first put community first yep. and you know really build um build the life you want um based on you being in control of it so i think farmer uh, farming allows a lot of people to be uh, good entrepreneurs and, and run a good life i totally agree is there anything else you'd like to add jay before we sign off that's it i uh it, it was good catching up with you and uh um We'll have to uh, uh, have fun in Arizona, but when you get back, we'll have to catch up. And we will do that. Okay. Again, this is the Top Producer Podcast, and this is Paul Neef, your host, signing off. Uh-huh.